here's a guy breaking world records, taking two days off a week. Why don't I try it? And so I tried it and it works great. If somebody's listening and they're like, oh, I'm gonna apply this. Here's the trick. It's, everybody thinks it's about the five days of loading. It's not. It's about the minimum two days of back-to-back -back recovery. It's a recovery strategy. It's not a loading strategy. There's a difference between metabolic health and metabolic fitness. And I lacked metabolic fitness. So it's not your ability to tolerate tempo or to work on your functional threshold. It's your ability, it's, it's really your health, your mitochondrial function. And lactate gives you a little insight into that. This active readiness test is just a situation where, you know, if I'm unsure, it can help me. Because most of our days as athletes, it's not a red light or a green light. It's normally kind of somewhere in between and I'm just trying to gauge how, how my fatigue is. Welcome to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'm your host, Dirk Friel. In each episode, we'll sit down with industry experts to discuss coaching methodologies, the latest research, and leading tools for endurance training. Visit trainingpeaks.com for more training and coaching resources. My guest today is Gordo Byrne, who has been called the Tony Robbins in a Speedo because he is a self-help guru who is also an ex-pro Ironman athlete with seven sub-nine-hour Ironman finishes. Gordo is also a past winner of the Ultraman Triathlon in Kona, Hawaii. He is a coach and author of the book, Going Long. And I first met and worked with Gordo in the late 90s. He has since taken time off and is now focused on being fit after 50. Yet the lessons he teaches can be applied to any athlete at any age. Thanks for listening to the CoachCast, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Gordo Byrne. All right, Gordo, welcome to the CoachCast. Uh, it's been actually quite a long time, and we were just chatting, and the last time I saw you was on snow at this little mountain called Eldora outside of training, outside of uh, Boulder. Um, so yeah, welcome to the CoachCast. Good to be here. Yeah, Thanks. awesome. Um, trying to think about like when we really kind of like first met each other, but it's more around the late 90s, I suspect, around ultra fit days and... Exactly. You know, we had a coaching group uh, led my, by my father and it was UltraFit Associates. And I think what, what was great back then was just literally like we were all just sharing, you know, knowledge, you know, and I think that was such a great time to kind of like learn, set foundations, move forward. And you've kind of obviously kept that going, you know, you you share, you document every single day in your life now. <laughs> so I want to say thank you for doing that. Um, if, for those who don't really know, um, Gordo was a, a pro triathlete, uh, one Ultraman. You were a regular sub nine hour Ironman athlete, like seven times, I believe. Ironman Canada victory, New Zealand as well, I believe. Well, second in both of those. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, almost. But um you know, and then you kind of stepped away from it. Like, so tell us about um, why you stepped away for a while and then that transition. And, you know, what are you doing now in terms of this, this comeback in your fifties? Okay. So yeah. I think like a lot of folks our age, um, older folks, and you know, when we were, uh, when we were younger, uh, we had a lot more time to devote to sport. And what I found was as my, I've got three kids and they were all born relatively close together. And as they kind of moved into those preschool, 
toddler years, the fatigue from my training, I was just an awful parent when I was really <laughs> tired. I mean, it's, it's difficult yeah, when you. you're fresh, yeah. but when you're blown after a long day, it's just a real struggle uh, not to become part of the problem. And so I made a decision at the time. I thought I was just taking a break for a year and it ended up being a decade off racing. Mm -hmm. And I was getting time back just before the pandemic hit. So about three years ago, and then the pandemic hit and all our lives went crazy and the races all shut down. So I had to postpone it. But something I noticed was my, my metabolic fitness was declining. So I was starting to, it, it was almost like, you know, you feel old. It's like you don't have the stamina. You're still, my power was still good. I was still strong, but I just got really tired on my long days. Coming from an ultra background, Ultraman, yeah. Ironman, it was really weird for me to lose something that had been a strength. And so that prompted me to decide, you know what, I'm going to try and just try and just get back into shape and see what happens. And, and part of that process, a big motivator for me is hopefully I'll be able to show some of the other parents out there that if you take a break and you stay consistent, you're going to be able to come back. I think many parents have this fear that if they let it go a bit, first they're going to, they're, they worry that their body shape is going to totally change and they're going to get out and get fat and get out of shape and all that that didn't happen. That was a, that was a false belief of mine, but they worry that they'll never be able to get back mm -hmm. to a good level. So what I'm hoping is over the next few years, I'll be able to demonstrate that yes, you can get back to a good level. And I think that'll give people comfort, people that are younger than me, people that have young kids where the sport becomes a stressor in their life, mm -hmm. as opposed to the sport being something enjoyable in their life. Um, and yeah. so that, that, that was the big motivator. And then once I, once I got into it, I mean, I, I had 10 years off running and 10 years off swimming mm. and I really missed it. And I'm, you know, I made a few mistakes coming back. And as you mentioned, I document those to try and help people come back more effectively. So, so we don't come back too strong, burn out and then have a false start and have to restart and we get into this lack of consistency. Um, and so really just sharing that part of my story to help other people uh, that want to change the, the direction of their life uh, using athletics. Yeah, I can definitely feel that as well. I mean, my wife and I made a conscious decision that I would retire, you know, and start a family. And that was kind of a black and white moment, you know, and literally it just happened. And we, but we planned it. And then I was like, I basically did like five hours a week you know, yeah. <laughs> those early years and just like took it, you know, as, as it happened. And I, you just had to just let it slide by and what used to be there wasn't anymore. Um, but I just kind of, you know, did a little five hours a week, you know, and, and then as I gained back more time, um, I guess like it became lessons learned from the past and what could you then improve upon from mistakes in the past? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, what's, I think really fascinating with what you're doing as well. You're relating it to what you did, you know, more than a decade ago, um, mm -hmm. and the changes that you see now and, and you're learning from other coaches. So I'd love to dig into some yeah. of those fundamentals of, 
you know, so maybe the foundation may still be there, but the way you attack it or the way you interpret things, you know, are, are different and how you're applying that to your training now. Um, so if we dig into some of the, the fundamentals, you know, and, and first of all, every single one of these kind of topics we'll go over today are already documented. They're on your YouTube channel. They're on Substack. You know, I, I highly recommend listeners go and, you know, you even have these short eight minute type YouTube videos that go into some of this stuff that's really pragmatic. You can apply today. Um, and, and one such topic I saw was you talked about, you know, build bottom up fitness. Yeah. So what, you know, what does that mean? How do you interpret that? How do you apply that to your training today? So bottom up is something that's been there that I noticed very early in Ironman. And the nice thing about these long events is if you have a, a gap in your approach, it'll become apparent. I mean, if, you know, the day is just too long yeah. for things not to become apparent. And the, and the gap, the two gaps that are most apparent for most people will be um, they haven't trained themselves how to eat and they haven't trained themselves how to pace. So eating and pacing. And, and then they lack stamina. And by stamina, I mean the capacity to simply do the amount of work required in the event. Right. So in a cycling terms, it's a kilojoule limit. Yeah. It's a, so the, the, they don't have the ability to, to do the work at any speed. Right. So what happens is they break down, they end up walking, they're reloading their body, their body's kind of catching up. So when I say bottom up, I mean, at the most basic level, it's the ability to move for the duration of your goal event, not, not even swim, bike, run. It's just the ability to move. And if we think about, you know, if the average Ironman is, say, about 13 hours, hardly anybody stands for 13 hours nonstop. Right. So, so what I would encourage, what I would, what I would say is, you know, first, you just have to get the ability to move that much in a day. Then the next step onto that is to do the amount of work required for your event. And again, it's if in these long events, it's a tremendous amount of work done in one day compared to the average day. Yeah. And the way I like to have athletes, and, and let's just use a marathon because that's something most people can relate to. So we're talking about 26 miles of running. And I say, well, look at your program looking back for the last, say, you know, 90 days. And on average, how long does it take you to do 26 miles of running? And that's going to be a number of days. So it's going to be, for most people, it's going to be anywhere from about, say, four to 14 days. And, and what I say is, once you have the capacity to do the, the work, try and compress the time frame that you're doing the work in. Mm -hmm. And then in between these compressions, you're going to be doing active recovery strategies. So that's the overall idea. So first duration, next the work. And then the cherry on top is what everybody tends to focus on first, <laughs> which is work capacity training, which is what we what what almost everybody defines as fitness. But it's fitness divorced from performance because if you don't have the ability just to endure across the total event to do the total amount of work, you're you're getting ahead of yourself. And so this is the, um, there's a Norwegian coach, Olaf Alexander Boo, 
And this is something he stresses. And it's nice to hear these themes repeat with elites yeah. uh, today. And, and he stresses build the general capacity before building the specific capacity. And it's something that your dad taught all of us many years ago. We just called it base training. Mm-hmm. And everybody was always in a rush to try and get to their specific capacity training, which we called the build block. And they, they didn't do enough base. And the thing with base training is you can do it for five years and just throw in some low priority races and you're going to consistently improve. You're going to enjoy your training. Uh, you're going to have much lower risk of in illness and injury. So that's that's an emphasis. Now, comparing the past with now, I would say the number one change that I've noticed in the coaching community is this focus on adaptation. Joe was way ahead of all of us with a focus on adaptation. Joe used to say, look, I want you to do the minimum amount of training to get the result we're trying to get. And you know that one. He always said, do the minimum least amount most specific at the right time. Exactly. <laughs> and and I was like, who wants to do that? Like, <laughs> I want to go hard. I just want to go hard. Exactly. <laughs> I, I was I was a total load. I, I call it load maxing. I was a load max athlete. That's the majority. Like, yeah. I want to give my body the absolute maximum that it can handle. And being an Ironman athlete, that is a heck of a lot of volume. Yeah. And so the change, so then to now, so now everybody's still doing a ton of volume, but really what they're doing is they're using the tools, uh, the physiological testing, the, the passive and active metrics, and what they're ensuring is that they're actually getting something for their work. So they're, they're focused on the adaptation. Are we getting an adaptation? Because if we're not getting an adaptation, all we're doing is making ourselves tired. Now, 20 years ago, we would talk about, we would say the same thing but we would talk about it with regard to intensity. So the use of VO2 max type training, very hard training, severe domain it's called now. Um, and, And I noticed that many endurance athletes were doing far too much of this training relative. So they were getting themselves tired from their intense training as opposed to getting themselves tired from their specific training, but it's specific in an endurance sense. And I think we quite often when we talk about specific capacity, we default towards velocity at VO2 max or these higher intensities that are easy to measure. And we think that that has a link to our event. Well, if our event is a five minute time trial, it probably has a pretty good link. But if our event is a crit race or even a standard distance uh, triathlon, and certainly when we're going way out to 70.3 distance triathlon, marathons, these longer events, it doesn't have much to do with these shorter metrics, which are easy to measure. And so we can be optimizing for the wrong uh, metric or optimizing for the wrong thing. So it's important to remember specific capacity is specific relative to the demands of the goal event. Yeah, absolutely. Most, I mean, the whole general versus specific is, is so, it's so difficult to internalize and really believe in. And I've, you know, you've spoken before about compounding works you know, yeah. time is your ally. And it's, you know, I, I, I gain that strength from you and, and your, you know, your content that you're pumping out because time is your ally, compounding works, take the long game. 
And you can see that then build momentum, right? Over time. But you have to first trust, believe in it and not get the, you know, the cart before the horse per se, right? Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about this adaptation approach is it actually gets you more volume over time. Mm. And, and, and that I think is the leap of faith. It's learning that, hey, if I preemptively back off in terms of structured recovery, both within my month, my season, and my week, I'm going to end up doing more work over the next thousand days. So I'm going to get more done. I'm going to have less illness. I'm going to have less interruptions, less small injuries, all this stuff. But our brains are not good. I mean, in an Ironman, if like if if we ask each other, you know, Dirk, how are you going to feel five hours from now? I mean, I got no idea how I'm going to feel five hours from now, let alone trying to map out. Well, how am I going to feel next week if I get carried away in my session today? Right. And and to help athletes, what I say is, pay attention to the sources of the fatigue. So because you're going to be able to re- you're going to be able to remember what you did one two three days ago, you're going to, you, you, you can use your training peaks to see the TSS that tipped you over the edge, how high it was last week. And if you're tracking it week to week, you're going to be able to see these fatigue patterns and recovery patterns. And you're going to, you're going to be able to set ceilings and you're going to, or, or floors in terms of if you're thinking about training stress balance. I'm never going to take myself below X because I know if I go below, it's not going to be worth it. I'm just going to have to rest extra three days from now. Right. And likewise, as an older athlete, I'm finding my fatigue cycles are extending. So if I if I'm tired this week, it's not the session I did 48 hours ago. I it's something that happened last week. And like likewise, when I rest, I don't actually feel a whole lot better the next day or something. When I have a, a lighter week, there's a delay on it. So there's mm-hmm. there seems to be, and I don't know if this is because I've been taking a break. Or if it's, uh, I'm getting older, but I think each athlete will have their own fatigue and recovery cycle. And that's something that I, I like the, the metrics within training peaks. I can look at that and try and learn what, you know, what is the cycle, what we're dealing with. Cause my daughter is a kind of regional class swimmer. She's a 14 year old teenager and she can put herself in this huge hole yeah. 36 hours later, she's trending back up again. Yeah. If I tried to do something like that, it's 10 days easy. Right. Uh, and, and so depending on the athlete profile, you can decide on how deep um, you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're actually putting a framework to this. I mean, you've spoken about the five, two kind of structure of loading and recovery and that works for you, but explain what the five, two is where that came from, you know, there's a great story behind, you know, where, where you, you know, we found that, but, uh, yeah, tell us more about so the loading. So it's, it's actually kind of, it's kind of neat, the background of that. So there's, um, there's a Swedish speed skater, um, called Niels and, uh, he broke the world record and won some gold medals and his protocol, he would do five, five days on two days off. And so he would always have two days back to back. And he wrote a book called How to Skate a 10K. And if you Google that, you'll get right to his website. And it's a great read. Yeah. Uh, I think all of us were talking about it when it when it came out. And my issue historically has been 
I, I don't do a good job at, at scheduling recovery. And so I was like, hmm, you know, here's a guy breaking world records, taking two days off a week. Why don't I try it? And so I tried it and it works great. Now, when you apply, if somebody's listening and they're like, oh, I'm going to apply this. Here's the trick. It's everybody thinks it's about the five days of loading. It's not. It's about the minimum two days of back-to-back -back recovery. It's a recovery strategy. It's not a loading strategy. And at 54 years old, I can't load for five days in a row. I mean, I'll tip myself over the edge. So my actual rest is more than two days a week. Okay. But in every single week, I've got two light days back to back and it gives me a mental reset. I stay on top of the rest of my life. And it's just like, ah, oh, you just, you, you kind of get that mental relaxation. And it's worked really well uh, for me. And it's a, so again, it's not a loading cycle, which everybody focuses on, you know, I'm going to hammer myself for five days and just hope right. for the best on the two <laughs> days. That's not it. You do your normal training. You, you get additional compression because with the two easy days, you can compress a bit more into the five days. So perhaps there's a bit more overload within the five days, but then you've got the, the two light days. And when you need it, you take more rest days on top. Uh, Niels's book has an appendix in it, which lays out all his daily training. Uh, leading up to the Beijing Olympics uh, over years. And I did some analysis and his actual rest. So if it's a 5-2, you'd expect about nine days a month. His actual rest was significantly more than that. Huh. So even at the elite level, he gave himself permission to rest more than his protocol. Results were absolutely exceptional. And I think that's an important thing for athletes to be aware of in that if you're not looking at the data of your favorite elite and understanding and, and be really able to dig into that. If you're not able to dig into that for the uh, data, don't assume that what they're saying they're doing is actually what they're doing. So don't, don't take these strategies and just drop them into your life and wonder why they don't work. There might be a piece of the puzzle that you're not aware of. Now to understand Niels's protocol, I actually connected with his coach and his coach is now my coach. So I was like, you know what? This guy has had exceptional results. I can definitely learn th something from his coach, Johan. And so Johan was doing a swim run event called Otilo in Sweden. So we did a little bit of a coaching exchange where I, I had won that event many years ago and he, um, he was getting ready for it. So I was like, okay, I'll help you get ready for your event. And you can yeah. help me get back into shape. And so it's been a really great relationship yeah. between the two of us. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, when you think about the focus being on the recovery, I mean, personally within my training, I've, I've thought about, okay, my threshold, right? Trying to optimize threshold. That's another thing around the Norwegian kind of, you know, discussions these days. And like when I think about 80, 20 concept, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, every fifth day should be my focus. That's like my threshold day, you know? And so nothing can compromise that fifth day. So whatever volume I'm adding in, it's okay as long as that fifth day I'm ready to go for that threshold, you know, workout because I'm not going to compromise it. So it's maybe a little different way of looking at it um, in terms of, you know, what I'm trying to optimize, but then I'll optimize the rest up to that point. Yeah, there's, I got two ideas there. Yeah. So on 80-20... Everybody has a different definition. So yeah. I think if you really what we're talking about 
is it's a different way of expressing what Joe taught us many years ago, which was breakthrough training. Right. Yeah. BT. So <laughs> exactly. So you, you, what you're going to have your specific capacity workout, whatever that is for your event. Yeah. You want to be ready for that workout. The other thing I would say is 80, 20, is it 80, 20 on time? Is it 80, 20 yeah. on, on load? Like on TSS Session. points. I think about sessions, not time. Exactly, and I, and I I think Dr. Sam Milan talks about that too. He 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 splits it based on sessions as well. Yeah. Now, what I've found is I'm actually more when I actually dig into my data, I'm more ninety ten, uh-huh. and my ninety percent is my green zone training, my easy steady work, and my ten percent is is everything else. Now, here's another thing. If you're a multi-sport athlete, your tolerance for intensity is going to vary by sport. So you're going to actually have a blended intensity on your week um, it, it, in, in the terms of most of us, partic- particularly when, you're, when your volume gets up, uh, swimming is a sport where we can work at what feels like a relatively high intensity at times, but we'll tolerate it much better than, say, trying to run uh, very intensely, which will break down many athletes. So you need to be aware of the mix. And then you also need to be aware of the impact of strength training within the overall mix, too. And if you're doing things like plyometrics, they might be a small amount of time, but create quite a bit of fatigue within the athlete. So I, I think the, the polarized uh, discussion has been useful and I think the most way it's been useful for athletes is it's encouraged them to slow down their endurance training. So instead of always trying to like bump that speed up and end, ending up in this high zone two, low zone three, using a five zone uh, system, they actually back it off and they get their endurance training more zone one, zone two, low, mm-hmm. low two, kind of around mm-hmm. that lactate turn point, that first lactate turn point. Yeah. And I think part of the reason it works is that's a much more effective place to target the um, the endurance training. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to dig into more of that in a bit, but I kind of want to go back in time a bit here. You talked about, I guess, looking at your metrics, but more specifically, mm-hmm. you think of it as your readiness, right? Readiness score, readiness matrix. You have this kind of protocol that you've been applying every single morning, it sounds like. Um, you know, what are you tracking? What do you do? What decisions does it help you make? Okay. Well, the great thing about the devices now is I, I track everything and everything gets pushed up to training peaks automatically. I don't have to do a thing. So that is, that's great. So I'm going to track my morning resting heart rate seated. I'm also tracking my evening resting heart rate. So before I go to bed, I want to track what my evening resting heart rate is seated, same position. And I want to see what the gap is that lets me see how much the day took out of me. Now, when I do both of those samples, it's going to also capture my heart rate variability. And so that, so that's also captured as well. So heart rate, heart rate variability. So those are, those are the two, if you like, I call them passive metrics because I'm, I'm seated. Mm-hmm. Then I have an active, what I call a active readiness. And it's, I got the test. It's a test that Niels did and, and Johan had developed with Niels, a Swedish active 
readiness test. There's versions of it uh, floating around the world. And really what we're trying to do is I hop on the bike and I'll just, I'll, I'll give you my numbers and you can interpret it to yourself. So let's say my first lactate turn point is at 200 watts. Uh-huh. So I'm going to, I'm going to be training below that. So I'm going to do six minutes at 150 watts, six minutes at 165 watts, and six minutes at 180 watts. So I don't even come up. I don't even leave zone one. Mm -hmm. And no matter where I am in my cycle, in my training cycle, in my macro cycle, that's always going to be an easy effort for me. And the idea is to capture the heart rate response at a very easy effort. What does my heart rate do? What does my body do as I start to exercise? And the hypothesis is that if I'm a little too tired, we call it the heart rate handbrake. So my heart rate will not come up yeah. and it's going to stay suppressed. And so I'm going to have a normal heart rate response for that. And if I'm super fresh and I'm coming off an easy week and in my mind, I know I'm getting ready to do a, a really tough session, my heart rate's going to rev up because my body's like, let's do it. Yeah, and, and, and so I'm going to, so I have this fresh profile and I have my normal profile. It's like, Hey, it's just another training day. And then I have this tired profile and I have this, Whoa, really tired profile. <laughs> this is mm. like, like yeah. super right. easy day or off. Yeah. And so by doing this test, you just get a look now that the test is not, the test is really just one piece of information. It's one piece of the overall uh, picture. So, so that's why I'm capturing everything. So I've got my soreness. How's my nutrition going? Am I patient with my kids? That's a big one for me. If I, if I lose patience at home, it's like, all right, something's up. Yeah. Your mood. I, I, you know, I, I, I've got a mood issue kind of going on here, but this active readiness test is just a situation where, you know, if I'm unsure it can help me because most of our days as athletes, it's not a red light or a green light. It's normally kind of somewhere in between. And I'm just trying to gauge how, how my fatigue is. And if it was a, a day like you talked about, so a key session for you is going to be th your threshold day. Well, if it's a threshold day, I'm going to put that at the beginning of my micro cycle. And I'm going to make sure that I'm getting all green lights before I do that workout. And I'm not going to, I'm going to delay or skip that workout if I'm not getting the, the green lights across all my metrics because I don't want to rev my engine hard when my body's not ready to absorb the training. So coming back to this concept, this, this newer concept of focusing on adaptation, this is where the metrics can be really helpful. You know, 15 years ago, I'd go out and train seven hours and then I'd come back and I'd send an email off to my coach saying, hey, my heart rate was suppressed today. What do you think? Yeah. And by then After it's the too fact. late. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, I've done it. Yeah. And so you end up kind of chronically run down. So what these, uh, what the metrics enable us to do is they enable us to be, I call it dynamic loading. We can be mm -hmm. much more dynamic in our approach to stressing our bodies. And we wait until our body is ready to receive or more ready to receive the stress. We don't just throw it on. And if we get too tired, well, we're going to have to rest more days. And this is yeah. the concept of load you can absorb, but also more specific load over time. It all kind of works together. Yeah. And that's the compounding as well. Like if you can, yeah. right. Buy low, sell high, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Why buy high, sell low, you know, like 
let, 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 let's put the work in when we're ready. We'll get mm -hmm. that compounding effect, you know, recover from it, get a better, you know, super compensation afterwards. And so that, that dynamic loading is definitely kind of like this trend that's coming in. Um, and, and you said like, you can't put yourself in a hole per se, you know, if you really. Yeah. And you need it. to understand that, you know, the, 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 the improvement, the adaptation, it's not really up to me. It just, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's up to my body and how my body's coping. Now, what yeah. I, what can I do to improve that? I can use my active recovery strategies and I can take the rest of the, my life stress as low as is practical. Now, again, you know, I've got, I'm living with three kids, you know, I've, I've got other stuff going it's on. Dynamic. It's a different thing. Yeah. You know, you just got to roll with it. <laughs> and, and this is the key thing, you know, so, so that I, I, a friend of mine, Alan Cousins had a concept in a, he's writing a book online on a Substack, and yeah. he had this concept of breakpoint volume. So you're, you're going to have this amount of load and at some point it's not going to work for you. You're going to tip off, you know, and the more things we have going on in our lives. And as we get older, this break point is going to be coming down on us and we just accept it. It's just the way it is. And, and I like the metrics because the metrics take some of the pressure off me. Mm. Um, you know, I, I used to write my plan out weeks in advance and I would always do my plan. And this more dynamic approach is a more flexible approach. And when I'm tired, it's okay. I'm not breaking the rules by resting. And, and I find it, it's, uh, it fits with my life a lot more. Well, I think you're also describing like the value of a coach. Like, you know, this is something that you can be dynamic with, you know, with mm -hmm. expert instruction and with somebody that has experience and to help you design some of these readiness matrix, um, and, and, and metrics to track, but then to kind of make that decision on the fly, you know, and have somebody to work with, to help make mm. those decisions, you know? So, um, before yeah. we move on, I just yeah. want to touch on that too. Yeah. It's really easy to make this quite complicated. And if you're the, if you're an athlete that's prone to overcomplicating um, over things, if you just pay attention to the first two things I said, morning heart rate, evening heart rate. And then if you add on top of that, your normal training heart rates for the effort, that's going to, that's going to give you almost all the information you need if you combine it with your mood. So you, you don't necessarily need to be building a, a complex algorithm to figure this out. And I think that might be part of the reason why some of the readiness scores with the, the wearables don't seem to work too well for people. They're overcomplicating the issue. You, you can just, you know, your morning heart rate, you're going to have a range, you know, your evening heart rate, you're going to have a range. And if you're outside the range, either above it or below it, something's up. It's not a day to do a key, key day, get yeah. yourself back in your normal range and then move forward. So don't overcomplicate. It would be something I'd tell people. Yeah. And but you are overlaying that with your HRV data and that's giving another, another data point, but how much yep. do you rely on the HRV? Like how concrete are you like placing decision on that? So, well, here's the thing with HRV I've, that I've noticed it's variable. So yeah. I can take three samples in a 10 minute block, three, two minute samples in a 10 minute block and move the entire way across my normal range. Okay. So it doesn't necessarily, it's not a reliable signal for me if I'm ready. 
Okay, so it's not a green signal. It is a very good signal if I'm not ready. If you're and outside that's, that range. Yeah. So if I if I'm suppressed significant if I'm suppressed below my normal range on it, and particularly uh, I got an aura ring. If if my if my temperature is slightly elevated, so if I have a slight elevation in temperature, a suppression in HRV, I've been exposed to a virus, and I, and I might get sick. So it is very helpful for me to make less mistakes, and mm -hmm. and the, and it's a loading mistake when I'm not aware that I'm about to get sick. And so last year, I'm certain because my wife got sick and I didn't twice. I had that signal backed right off for 48 hours, didn't get sick. And so it, that is great mm -hmm. for an athlete, particularly an athlete that's pushing hard, um, you know, a higher volume, a higher load athlete, and, they, and, and an illness can really set that athlete back. So it, it's very useful for that. The other thing it's useful is, and we use it with my, my daughter, is trends. So HRV trends over time. So she, her normal range is much wider than mine as a younger athlete. And she'll trend, the HRV will trend up when she's unloading and trend down when she's in a, a loading cycle. And the trends are quite good. Yeah. Now, depending on the type of loading, I think, I mean, you and I know that if it's, if it's base training loading, it's green zone loading, doing some loading when you're a little bit suppressed, a little bit tired, not a problem. Your body's going to be able to cope with that, providing you don't do it too long. You're going to, so you overreach for a bit and then you'll be able to come back. So it, you can manage it that way. And, and we, we use it to not do supplemental training. So if you're wondering, ah, you know, can I get another session in? If the HRV trend is down, no, mm -hmm. you're not going to be, you're not going to be doing anything extra. We're going to try and get you trending back up. Also between the micro cycle and when you're in a, in an unloading phase, you definitely want to see your metrics, your HRV metrics trending up. If your HRV metrics don't trend up when you rest, I would argue that the overall program is too stressful for you. So the, the training load, the on weeks are too stressful because when you're resting, you're seeing your metrics collapse and that can be a sign. Well, maybe the overall program, you know, what I think is my normal range is actually a suppressed range. Right. And to see that at the end of the microcycle, what I recommend everybody does, and that, that'd be like twice a year for most of us at the, you know, the end of the schemo season and then say the end of the bike season. Yeah. We're going to we're going to unload and we're going to try and get a healthy baseline on all our metrics. Our resting heart rate, our HRV, we're going to go see the doctor get our blood work done and we're going to understand what our healthy baseline is because it's easy I I noticed this with myself. I had to back off at the end of February. Fatigue hits us so slowly and so gradually. If you're a highly motivated athlete, you can look like you're in your normal range, but your normal range is chronically suppressed on you. Mm. And if you don't have these unloading periods, I did a 14 day unloading period just to see what would happen. It turned out I was right. My mood was depressed and, and it was, I had just become chronically fatigued without realizing it. And then you come back from that, you feel so much better and you you go back into your training uh, with a fresh uh, kind of, you know, you got your, got yeah. your mojo back. Yeah. That's a good point on HRV, kind of the trends. It's more about the trends and the absolute values, like day to day per se, you know, and what is your range, your, that normal range Yeah, and those trends. Yeah. Same so thing with the active readiness test, by the way, too. All right. You know, right. you'll, you'll find, it, you know, you're going to, 
you're gonna after your after my two easy days, if my heart rate isn't coming up like it's fresh, then I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be doing if I had a hard session scheduled, demanding session scheduled for that first day of the microcycle, yeah. I'm gonna delay it till day two. Yeah. And that's usually all it takes. So it's like two really light days and then an easy day and and then I'm I'm good to go. And my body's gonna respond much better from that stimulus just by delaying for 24 hours. Yep. No, I love those days when you go out and do that BT workout and heart rate's reacting and you're staying on yeah. top of it and you're like, wow, this is how it's supposed to feel, you know? And <laughs> you know, a de two decades ago, it was always the opposite. It was like, man, this is horrible. Like I gotta be 20 <laughs> watts higher than I am right now. God, you know, so, so talking about intensity, right? Dialing in the intensity, you've stated most people are going too hard. They don't know it. You've experienced it in your comeback. You've talked about it on your run. You know, you're yeah. running too hard and you found out that you're running too hard. You're biking too hard because of lactate testing. Yeah. And, and so pull us into your world of, you know, you used to have a lab, uh, but now it's a little more simplified, I believe. Yeah. But talk to us about uh, how you're uh, incorporating lactate testing into, into this comeback. Okay. So a little bit of history. Um, in 2000, I left my job in private equity in Hong Kong and, uh, I had a month in Queensland and then I had, then I went over to New Zealand and, I, and in New Zealand, I ended up down in Christchurch and down in Christchurch is a doctor called Dr. John Hellemans, who's a multiple world age group champion in triathlon. And he had coached world champions in six different disciplines. And now he's coached seven different Olympians, very, very experienced guy. And so he, his business was called Active Health and it was a mixture of treating the community and treating the athletes within the community as well as coaching. And he uh -huh. taught me lactate testing. Now, back then, if you had a power meter and you knew how to lactate test, you were so far ahead of everybody. <laughs> because everybody else was training basically blind. All they had was a old school polar heart rate monitor and that's it. So they just had feel, they had no idea what was happening internally in their bodies. And today we know so much more about uh, lactate and its role in the body. And I would recommend if anybody hasn't listened to the coach cast with Dr. Sam Milan to, to cue that up, listen to that. He did two hours with Peter Atia about uh, mitochondria, uh, lactate, mm -hmm. zone two. Uh, I think it's called the zone two deep dive. Well worth your time to understand. Um, and I typed up notes on what I heard on both of those podcasts. And you can find those on my website. Um, so that's a little background. So I, was, I started training again at the end of April last year. And... So we're, we're like, a year in now. Yeah, we're coming up on my anniversary. And I'm like, this. Uh, there's this huge disconnect between the fatigue I'm getting and the heart rate I'm running. So I'm getting really, really tired from what seemed like low heart rate training for me. And I, I had taken a, a long break when our first child was born. And that I was 40 years old at the time. And so I had been through this before. And back then we had a human physiology lab in the basement of my house, Metcart, the whole thing. And so we were able to kind of plug me into the Metcart, do some lactate testing, do some gas exchange analysis and figure out what was going on. And the answer was kind of obvious. I was metabolically unfit. 
So you can get an insight into your metabolic fitness. You don't need to go down to the local university. You can just do use some lactate testing. So I jump on and get myself a lactate kit and I have a look and it was shocking how metabolically untrained I was. And my lactate was breaking. It was going up at 105 beats per minute. Mm -hmm. So basically, as soon as I went from a walk to an easy jog, my lactate would spike and metabolically I was in zone three. Wow. So I had no steady. There was no steady zone. I was right in the heart uh, the heavy domain. And it took, it took months, about six months of running absolutely as easy as I could to develop easy pace. And, 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 you know, I wasn't, I wasn't heavy. I, you know, I, I, I'd had a medical cause I had COVID last summer. The doctor said I was looking great. I was all medically cleared, but there's a difference between metabolic health and metabolic fitness. And I lacked metabolic fitness. And so for the athletes listening, I would say lactate testing gives you an insight into your metabolic fitness. So it's not your ability to tolerate tempo or to work on your functional threshold. It's your ability, it's, it's really your health, your mitochondrial function. And lactate gives you a little insight into that. So same deal if you start swimming. Uh, most amateur swimmers have no easy gear. They have no ability to swim metabolically easy. Now the bike is the best place. The bike's great because we have gears and I know, and, and you might want to ride uphill yep. all the time, but you're going to have to stay on the flat when you're training this, but it's easier yeah. now because we all got Zwift and stuff. Um, but you can, you can train yourself metabolically much more easy on the bike and, and dial it in. So I got my lactate kit and I started testing. Now the common test is a ramp test and most people will ramp you using fairly large steps. So Dr. Sam Milan talks about 0.5 watts per kilo. Round numbers, I'm about 80 kilos. And that would be 40 watts a step. Yep. Now that's, that's going to, I'm going to jump across zones if I'm stepping up at 40 watts a step. Yeah. So I would say the other thing is his population of elite cyclists are leaner and fitter, right? Yep. So their zones are bigger. And yeah. they got less kilos to produce. Their zones watts. are wider, so yeah. we have we have less than 100 watts between zone two and four, and they have <laughs> quite they a got, bit more. <laughs> yeah. So what I would, if you're applying the protocol, and you, if somebody's out there listening, I would say if you're going to make a mistake, make your steps too small, because the first point that you want to discover is this first lactate turn point, and if you're if you've got a 40 watt gap. And LT1 is anywhere within those 40 watts. That's too big for you. That's 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 not going to be effective. So I will step up. If you remember, I was talking about my SART, my active readiness test. I'm stepping up 15 watts at a time. So when I'm trying to dial in LT1, I start really easy, 100 watts. I'm 100 watts below where I expect to find LT1. And I'm, and I'm doing these small steps, 15 watts, 20 watts, and I'm coming up. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I'm warming my body up in the, in the test. And so I'm not creating stress from starting at too high a thing. And I want to see my baseline. I want to see this baseline lactate uh, coming along. And I, and I want to have a clear idea when it's going to tick up on me. 
And so that LT1 point in the test, and I, I like to use either five or 10 minute steps. Hmm. I'll use five minute steps if I'm going all the way up to max. It's a, I, so if I was doing a max protocol where I'm gonna take it to the limit, I'm gonna be doing 25 watt steps. I'm gonna be doing them five minutes at a pop. And I got the Nova Biomedical lactate tester. So the first sample I'll take is at four minutes. And then I can get another sample in at about four and a half. And if I don't think my samples are accurate, I'm going to stay at the power until I, until I think I got a good reading. Because sometimes your, your sweat can contaminate. Yeah, and you're drop. taking the, the test. You're doing the test yourself, on yourself. All my testing's by myself until I teach one of my kids to do my lab tech. <laughs> nice. That's coming. <laughs> awesome. So, but I can, but I, I, it, once you get used, that's why it's best to learn on Submax. Once you got, so I got a little tray beside my bike yeah. and I got a little tray beside my treadmill. So I, I've got everything all laid out and I've been, I've done enough tests now over my life. And also recently I got my game on with the with the test so i can i can self-test now once you get once you get much above zone three and you're getting towards that functional threshold your sweat rate's up you're starting to move around it's a lot tougher to test and so most of the testing i do is a submax test where i'm looking for this lt1 point the other reason is if you're using functional threshold or you're using critical power or you're using these higher bands you can set those much easier by just doing power-based tests the, the lactate i find is most useful at the low end to make sure the steady training is actually steady metabolically. Right. And so to, to, to dial in the endurance training. Now, a lot of folks, so that's, that's the first test. So find that LT1 point. So let's say I discover my LT1 point is 200 watts. Or someone goes to a lab and the tester says, well, LT1 is 200 watts for you. It's like, okay, great. But maybe you're in a cold room in your basement when you got tested, or maybe the lab conditions were different than the field conditions. Well, now what you have to do is you have to go out and test that. And if you're a cyclist, I would say the easiest thing to do is just jump on, just jump on uh, Zwift because you can have all your testing equipment right beside you and do a two-hour ride and have a look at your lactate every 20 minutes holding it what the lab tells you is LT1. It should not be difficult for you. And you can see what happens to your lactate. The other thing you're going to learn, and this is the reason why I do my Swedish active readiness test, you're going to learn that if you slam straight into an endurance workout as an amateur, you're going to spike your lactate. I've seen lactates as high as 3.0. So that might be one to one and a half millimoles above baseline because the athlete didn't warm up appropriately. So how do you know if your warm up is appropriate? Just do your normal warm up, take a baseline lactate and take some samples while you're doing your warm up. And what you're probably going to discover is that your warm up needs to be a lot easier for your body to bring your body online. And to, and so you get the most out of your endurance training and you're not making your endurance training more stressful than it needs to be. Same deal with running by the way. Every single run I do either starts with my active readiness test on the bike or as 10 minutes of walking, followed by slow jogging, just to bring my body up and bring everything online. I don't just charge out of the garage. I live at the bottom of Flagstaff Mountain. So in the old days, I could charge, you know, you, you, you roll down <laughs> to the bottom of the alley, yeah. start climbing. <laughs> so what I've found is that's not optimal. 
Yeah. What we need to do is kind of bring ourselves online. So you're going to be able to. So now we're talking three things that I would recommend the athlete test. Test your warm up. Make sure you're actually warming yourself up. Get use this progressive test to dial in this LT1 point, then get out in the field and test if it's the same in the field. Now, when you're doing the field test, that's going to let you dial in your heart rate zones because a five minute sample or even a 10 minute sample is not going to get the heart rate response that a one hour or two hour or even longer, you know, if you're a long distance athlete, you'll get a much wider heart rate response and you'll learn what the normal heart rate response is. Now within the lab test or the test, if you're a self-tested athlete, take the maximum heart rate that you see in the five minutes or the 10 minutes. Don't take the average. Yeah. If you take the average, you'll be under, under I mean, in a five minute step, the average is going to way understate because you'll see the heart rate's going to be climbing the whole time in the five minutes. That's why Dr. Sam Milan's advice to do these 10 minute steps, I thought was excellent because 10 minutes at the work rate, by the end of the 10 minutes, you're actually going to get a decent heart rate response and you're going to be able to use that. Now, when you sit on that heart rate for a couple hours, it's going to be higher, you know, probably about five beats higher. And so you, you need to allow a range, a normal range, and you'll see that. And the other thing is with your endurance training, judge the appropriate, judge if the target is appropriate based on what happens afterwards. And what I mean is it's not how you feel immediately after the workout, it's how you feel the day after. If you have unexplained fatigue from some, some test you did or the lab zone, you have to trust the fatigue. You've set your zone too high and you got to back it off. So although we've been talking about my LT1 at 200, I do a lot of training where the average might be 165. And the reason for that is we don't ride a point when we're out there and we don't run a point and we don't swim a point. We have a range. Yeah. We have an effective range that we're sitting in. And what I would say is you want to keep your power band, your pace band, so that you're not always spiking up into the heavy domain, into zone three, and in some cases, even zone four. I mean, if you look at an amateur's ride, a lot of times they're going to be going even over functional threshold quite a lot. Yeah. Those micro spikes, unless you have exceptional lactate clearance capacity, will fatigue you very quickly over time. And so you need to have that, that discipline. And this is something we learned when we hooked everybody up to power meters and we could see they were just stomping all yeah. the time. And you, it's like, okay, you got to learn how to ride smoother so that you're not providing, you're not giving yourself all that additional stress. Yeah, absolutely. A uh, couple things. How, I mean, how often do you test and, and versus confirm? Okay. So I'm right now I'm relatively new. So things are moving. Okay. So I'm testing every at the, at the beginning, when I started last year, I was testing every six weeks and mm -hmm. things, things were moving. They were moving in those. So now I'm getting, now I'm coming up to a year. I'm testing at least every quarter to have a look at it. And I do different tests. If it's the submaximal test, so I can do a, I can do what I call a test, but my, my lactate's not even going to get into zone three. Um, and, and by zone yep. three, I mean on the five zone system. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even, so I'm, 
I'm just I just want to see that LT1. And then so I the other day I did my bike test and then actually it was yesterday. Did my bike test, had a little bit of water, analyzed the test, went out to the treadmill, did my treadmill test. So it was a total of two and a half hours of exercise, but my lactate never went past 2.0. Yeah. And the, and my baseline at the very beginning was 1.6. It was a little elevated, but it came down as I started to exercise. Um, so that, and then the spot checks I do when I'm curious, if particularly you're going to be able to, once, once you get the LT1 dialed in with your lactate, you're going to be able to feel it. You're going to be able to feel the point. You're going to be able to feel your breathing deepen, not the tempo breathing that you're going to get with, you know, zone three or the panting that you're going to get in zone four, but you're just going to feel this little bit of deepening. You know, people talk about the talk test and that you're going to be able to sort of feel that the, the yeah. test I use is I'm in zone two. If I have to put my phone down, if I'm mm -hmm. riding indoors, you know, if it's zone one, I, I can do whatever I want. If when I'm in zone two, I'm having to focus a bit, got to put the phone down. I'm kind of like doing my ride. And so that would be, that would be how often I would test. So after I do, after I do the breakpoint test, I'm going to do a field test. And then I'm curious what happens. I got, I got two things I'm wondering about. Um, what happens when I decouple? So I want to do a long endurance ride, start to decouple, and then see what my lactate is doing. I, I did an experiment, but I did it climbing. And so my heart rate decoupled. So I did a two-hour endurance ride, and then I did a long, a long climb, one-hour climb. And I tried to hit the gas on the climb. I fell apart, decoupled, and I sampled some lactate. My lactate wasn't up very much. So I was I, I decoupled with a low lactate response. And sometimes the low lactate response can be depletion. So I might have been depleted. So I didn't, because lactate is a source of fuel. So so I'm just experimenting with that. Uh, Are you tracking the decoupling remote. values of the same course over time? Well, it's actually what, what I look at is how long I can go without decoupling. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm still a relatively young athlete in terms of my return. So what I'm not trying to do is, is do a durability test where I might hit the gas and then see if I can come back. So what I want to do is I want to push my, my green zone, zone one, zone two. I want to push that as far out in time before I start adding intensity on top of it. Now, as an elite, what we used to do was we used, we used to like, we used to be hitting the gas all the way because what we would want to do is figure out how many surges or how hard we could hit the climbs in an Ironman and still be able to run well. And so we were trying to figure out what it would take to decouple us. And right. when, when the, the fitness is point, very yeah. deep, yeah, when the fitness is really deep, you just keep coming back after all these surges. You have it's more great. matches. Yeah, you can burn. You can burn. <laughs> you can burn matches like kind of all day. It's a yeah. wonderful feeling, but I can't do that now. There's like no coming back. Uh, if I if I put in a hard surge, I'm kind of done for the day. No, that's what I'm thing, trying to Yeah, with. I used to go. If folks know around Boulder, like left hand canyon up up to up to Ward, and you know, yeah. but I would do that climb at a set watts. Yeah, you know, like zone two where I think it is. And then let's see what heart rate does. Yeah. And that's kind of a, it's a test in its own, no lactate, but is it a, you know, what, what kind of decoupling am I seeing on that course over time now, temperature, et cetera, can affect it. But you know, that was kind of a fun, 
fun thing to do. So let me let me throw out one test that I actually haven't heard anybody else talk about recently. There's been so much talk about lactate and zones and stuff with the th- success the Norwegians had. Now, if I was an elite cycling coach, I'm not. But if I was, there's a test that I would do. And I would, before I did a hard block with my athletes, I would want to confirm that they still have their high-end lactate capacity. In other words, I would want to make sure that when they hit the gas, they get a lactate response. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because something that you that that I found is, it was kind of called the lactate paradox or something, is that as the athlete is starting to get overreached and potentially going to make that transition from being overreached to overtrained, their top end, at first, they're still going to be able to produce the watts, but you're not going to see the lactate associated with those watts that you would normally do. Right. And it's going to feel hard. So I would want to make sure that when the athlete hits the gas, they get a normal lactate response. And that would well, be... I, I, yeah. I think that's the difference between the Pogachars of the world. You know, they can have this insanely high zone two level, Mm -hmm. but glycolytically, they have an insane, they have a whole nother gear as well. Yes. You know, whereas me, I'm, I'm, I, who knows, you know, a lot of pros might have relatively the same aerobic threshold, but they Mm -hmm. don't have that additional gear above that. Yeah. um, Which is so, so important in an anaerobic type sport, like, like road cycling you might go right from the gun in a five or mountain biking, you know, you gotta, you gotta go for the single track, you know, 50 yards away from the gun in a 50 mile race. And you want to be in the top 10, right? You're going to redline it. Yeah. And so, yeah, glycolytically that you got to have that gear. Yeah. And, and the 80% part of the program is what creates the lactate clearance capacity. I think that's that's a very important, uh, oftentimes we think we need the athlete to focus on their threshold, they do, but they also need to be able to use that lactate as fuel very quickly afterwards. And that's what you get from your endurance training. Otherwise you're gonna be done. So you you can be at the front, but everybody's gonna be going by it. Exactly, In, in that mountain bike scenario, you might get a one minute, 90 second recovery, but how well do you recover in that 90 seconds, you know, for the next five minute climb? And I wanted to, I wanted, I wanna say something about swimming that's related to this for the triathlon coaches. Open water is about the ability to recover while moving. It's very much like a crit. And it's really important that you train this in yourself, if you're an athlete, or if you're a coach, you need to train the athlete's ability to hit the gas and recover while moving at a pretty good pace. And uh, many programs and many swim workouts don't train this capacity. They train the the get out capacity and then they're on the wall, get out capacity and then they're on the wall, or it's easy swimming and something that needs to be trained specifically because it's a very specific adaptation is this ability to hit the gas and then back off to a low zone four type effort, five zone system. So this ability to change speed within because the pace is always changing in the water. And so people have great fitness, they have great get out capacity, but they get dropped a third of the way through the swim because there's a surge and they can't recover while moving because they haven't trained it. So that's a a specific thing for triathlon. Yeah, you're bringing back my days of criterium racing where I'm trying to recover in the corners. (laughs) 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 Oh, nasty. Uh, Okay, how about understanding effective range? 
for endurance yeah, so we, training. We, so we talked about that. Uh, again, uh, Training Peaks and Zwift are both really good. What they'll do is they'll bin your ride. And, and by saying bin, I mean, they'll put the watts and right. you can actually see. And so what you can, what you can do is with bin analysis, you can look at, okay, my standard endurance ride, am I doing what I think I'm doing? So you're going right. to have a heart rate response, but you're also going to have these power bins and it normally looks like a pyramid. Um, and you can look at what the range is. And this is why. I prefer to target endurance training at first lactate turn point because what that means is the range is going to be a little over it and, you know, say one third over and two thirds down. If we're looking at kind of this, this, this range that the athlete's riding on and the range is not going to go into the heavy domain. There's going to be no tempo associated with it because heart rate doesn't tell the whole story. So if you're an elite, these little surges are no big deal. For everybody else, the surges are a big deal. You mm -hmm. don't want to be dealing with the surges. And you want to like you want to train this effective range. Now, the same principle applies to your tempo training. If you're doing long climbs and you're sitting and you think you're sitting in a zone for maybe you're a low zone four type heart rate, but if your power is constantly going over functional threshold, constantly nipping into the severe domain, going over critical power, you're going to be doing a very different workout than you think you are. Right. And so this bin analysis will let you look at, is your effective range in this domain, in this physiological area that you want to actually be addressing? And so you, if you find, again, if you find your training is generating more fatigue than you expected, it's probably because you're dipping into one domain higher and your effective range is wider than you think. Yeah. And, and so that would be how I would, would use that type of analysis for athletes. Yeah. Sometimes as a coach, I would put a governor on the effort, you know, and really like you could analyze it and see how much time was spent above X wattage. Yeah. Like you did this workout completely wrong. Like yeah. I, you get rid of this extra Watts, back it off and hold a steady state. And for the triathletes listening, what I say is, if you have a disappointing run, look at that bike file and chop the peak off the entire bike file. So chop the peaks off all the power, all those power spikes. You're gonna get a number where you're like, I never, so I, you know, if somebody has a functional threshold of say 300, I would say you never wanna see a three until you're running great off the bike, for an example. But yeah. whatever your profile is, you're gonna to have to chop the peaks off because the peaks are gonna be what are killing your legs for the run and they're, it's not gonna cost you much speed. So you're gonna learn how to time trial properly by getting speed without peak power. And you're gonna to learn to manage the power across the course much better without these peak surges. Yeah, yeah. And you're describing variability index, which is VI in training yeah. peaks. When you highlight a section or that entire race, it might be, you know, we're looking at average versus normalized power and the differences there mean is meaning the spikes. And so the more closer to one you are. Well, yeah. yes, there's, there's another issue though. Uh, in triathlon, you can get, there's a, there's a lot of low power periods. Yeah. So you don't necessarily want to be riding even. You want to be riding efficiently. So it's it's a it, invariable terrain. So the, every time. So that's also one of the reasons why I like 
uh, athletes to be a little undergeared because when they run out of gears, I want them rolling zeros. Just a little bit of tension on the chain because they're going fast enough. Because once the speed's up, the energy's going into the wind. I want that energy to go into the run instead. And 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 so it's it's a it's slightly different in the sense that you can get variability, but I want the variability on the downside. Right. So I, I don't want it, I don't want it on the upside. Right, so yeah, yeah. chop the peaks and then take as much free speed as you can manage because yeah. you'll get it all back and more when you're running. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's those matches that you're talking about too. Yeah. <laughs> How many matches did you go through? Actually in WKO, it's kind of cool. There's a match feature where you can designate the matches. It'll go through the entire file in five and every single match. <laughs> you know, every time I, I did 300 to 350 for more than eight seconds, go find them. Ugh. It'll, it'll find all 50 of them. Great feature. <laughs> Hey, uh, how do people follow you? You know, you've, you've mentioned your website, Substack, YouTube. Where, where Easiest all... thing. So I got a, I got a personal landing page, thousanddaypacing.com. Yeah. And it's uh, the number. So it's like one, one zero, 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 pacing. Nice. Thousanddaypacing.com. Thousand that, that, there's only four things that I do. I, I, I got YouTube, Twitter, and I've got two Substacks. So one Substack is called Endurance Essentials. It's what we've been talking about today. Yeah. And then there's another one called True Wealth, which is lessons that I've learned in my day job uh, over the last uh, 34 years, yeah, awesome. uh, working with investments as well as wealthy families. I act I as love a fiduciary. So so high or, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well if, if you read my stuff, you know, you, you'll, you'll see, I'm not, I've never been compounding. No, I've well compounding. I'm a big believer in, in all domains, yeah. mainly yeah. because our brains are, are not set up to understand how powerful compounding is. I've been trained yeah. in it and I'm still surprised every time. Yeah. The, what the marshmallow test with little kids, isn't that like <laughs> the original, uh, psychology test? Um, awesome. Wow. Lots of great stuff. Uh, this is all backed up in YouTube and sub sub stack, like, like, uh, Gordo just mentioned. So go find him there. Awesome stuff. You, you put something out every single morning too. So a wealth of, uh, information coming from you. So I appreciate what little you've passed along to us today and, uh, yeah, man, looking forward to it. And, uh, let's do an easy ride sometime. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Thanks Gordo. Okay, thanks, Dirk. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. Visit trainingpeaks.com for more training and coaching resources.